This is an exciting new voice. I'm Ben Hunter, Booktopia's Fiction Category Manager. In our first episode, we explored what it takes to turn a work in progress into a completed manuscript. Then in our second episode, we followed a couple of authors in their journey from finishing a manuscript to finding a home for their novels. Today we're asking what it's like to hand over your book to be edited and what the process is working with a publisher. My name is Lynn Yao and I've written a novel called The Silent Listener. It's a psychological thriller um, based around a family that's trapped in a whole lot of lies and secrets, some mysterious deaths and two daughters who are intent on getting revenge. Hello, my name's Tori Hashka. I'm the author of Grace Under Pressure. Um, it's a commercial women's fiction book about a group of burnt-out, harried mothers on the northern beaches of Sydney who uh, ditch their spouses and start living together in a commune uh, as a way to combat their collective stress and deal with the madness of modern-day motherhood. Um, it's about a lot of things, but... Mostly, it's about the saving grace of female friendship. Hi, my name's Nicola West, and my debut novel, Catches the Foxes, is coming out with Simon & Schuster on July 7th. Catches the Foxes is set in the bucolic coastal town that I grew up in, and it's about a young journalist who makes a gruesome discovery at the town's annual show. She has to decide if she wants to help keep the town's secret or break the biggest story of her career. So your book has been accepted by a publisher. The dream of becoming a published author is becoming a reality. What is the first thing that happens once you start working with a publishing team? I asked the question of Lynn Yoett, author of The Silent Listener. Uh, so after I signed the contract with Penguin Random House, I worked with my publisher, Bev Cousins, and we did, I'm going to say, four rounds of major structural edits of the novel. So we were looking at big plot questions, restructuring um, the order in which, not necessarily the order in which things occurred chronologically, but where we placed them in the novel across the three time eras. So we did a whole lot of that sort of big picture structuring And that lasted, I'm going to say, for about four or five months. And then from Bev, it passed on to Catherine Hill, who became my editor. And we did, I think, about five rounds of edits. Very thorough, everything from line edits and the apostrophe in the right place and the um, commas and stuff like that. But also tried to tighten up the language Um, choose stronger words or better words, rearrange maybe paragraphs within a section or a chapter uh, just to make the flow a bit tighter. Uh, So we did that almost, I'd say, going on to about 10 months and then it went to a proofreader and we did, I think, about three, maybe even four rounds of proofreading, which included some line editing, which we snuck in along the way. Lynn, you mentioned uh, working on structural edits at the outset. With That was with the publisher, is that correct? Yes. So yes. You, you, you kind of met and had a relationship with the pro- publisher at the outset of the whole um, adventure, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> um, 
yep, uh, but, right. but then you meet a, a, a group of people who are going to work with you along the way and, and you're not sure who a lot of them are going to be until you're in it. Is that correct? Yeah, except I didn't so much meet them along the way. I met them as they each became involved in the process. So before I signed a contract with Penguin, I had a really long phone call with Bev from um, Penguin who became my publisher and that was around um, you know how, how things would unfold but also I know she was interested to find out if I was willing to accept you know structural edits and line edits to the novel and how willing I guess I would be to talk about these things and and make changes so we talked for quite a long time and we also sort of roughed out what the publishing um, timetable would be for the novel. So this was back in June 19, uh, 19 not really that long ago, June um, 2019, and the book came out in February 2021. So there was a really long period of time, and she, she had already worked all of that out, and this was before we had signed, but we were very close to signing. Um, and then later I met, uh, and then later I met her, um, they very kindly took me out to lunch one day in Sydney and then um, after Bev had finished her or we had worked together on those structural edits, then I met Catherine um, and I met some of the other team at um, Penguin who were all in Sydney. So I didn't sort of get bombarded with a whole team and then try and work out who everybody was. It was a very, um, I'm going to say slow, but sort of gradual and easy and seamless progression through the different types of edits that we did. Yeah, and it, and it almost sounds like in that phone call, um, Bev was making herself comfortable with you as much as you were trying to make yourself comfortable with her before agreeing to do this probably really <laughs> stressful thing. <laughs> yes, I think that's right. And I, look, I have to say, on one level, it wasn't, stressful um it, it was in really interesting and I have to say I really enjoyed the whole editing process so my day job is editing and writing for other people so I perhaps on one level knew what to expect and understood that there would be many layers of editing once you sort of fix up one layer of problems or probably too strong a word for it um then you kind of move down to the next layer. So I was kind of prepared for that, and I, I have to say I, I really did enjoy it. Um, so maybe I'm lucky in that respect. Tori Hashka again. Uh, writing a novel is a little similar to having a baby in that it can be painful and there are a lot of people involved in the process of it. When Grace Under Pressure was accepted by... Um, I was quite, I was well prepared by my agent, Catherine Drayton, that there would be changes to follow. And there are going to be changes to follow because everybody has a vested interest in making it the best possible version of itself. So um, we went through a few more rounds of editorial changes and structural edits, which I think is every author's um, living terror, but definitely, you know, make for a much stronger product at the end. And then after that, we went through a great fun process that I didn't know all about, which was it was sent to professional readers who came back with feedback. Then we went to uh, then we went to copy editors who came back with very very detailed questions 
that made me question my sanity at times. Um, and then after that, it went to proofreaders. And then there's a lot of fun involved in figuring out how we're going to market the book best and get it into the hands of people who will hopefully love it. It sounds like a. Yeah. I, I love the analogy of, of childbirth because it does sound um, a little bit traumatic. <laughs> um, <laughs> you you go through these big, broad, brushstroke changes of structural edits, um, and that quite drastically changes the book from its original form into something that is um, bigger and better or or sharper. And maybe at that stage, you you think you've got something that's really good and really ready and then it sounds like you you go through the um copy edits where you get all these questions back and you you maybe just start wondering does this book even make sense at all absolutely um at one stage i realized that there were 26 fictional women that lived inside my head and i got notes back from the copy editor at one point asking what what is happening with ruby you know, it's the protagonist's daughter. So I was like, oh, okay, good point. Yes, absolutely. But at that point, I was trying to keep straight, you know, made up women, women in my own life, my own children, um, and dealing with quite important questions from the copy editors of, you know, what season are we in now? Because the weather that you've lifted doesn't match Christmas time, which happens two chapters later. So um, thank goodness for people with eagle eyes who can pick up on small things that can slip through. And if you were a reader, it would probably be quite annoying. Nicola West again. You've gotten over the hurdle of signing with a publisher. You've handed over a manuscript. Um, we want to know how the editing process begins. What happens immediately after that signature lands on the page? Um, and talk us through the process for you. Well... Now that I know the questions that you're asking, I'm wondering if you picked the best person for this, but I suppose it's interesting to offer a bit of an alternative take on it in that I was tremendously, tremendously fortunate that Catch of the Foxes actually didn't go through a structural edit. It skipped that stage altogether, which what I've heard is very, very unusual, but I think it's really important to note that it doesn't mean, oh, wow, that means that I nailed it on the first go or anything like that. Obviously, there was a very extensive edit process before it got to Simon & Schuster. But I think that it's also important to note that it just shows that Simon & Schuster wholeheartedly got the book from the start and that when they were purchasing it, they knew that Structurally, it was in the shape that they wanted it to be. So I don't want it to sound like I'm gloating and going, oh, wow, look at me, I'm so good. I didn't need to have a structural edit. And instead say, wow, I am so fortunate that I found a publisher who just wholeheartedly got what I was trying to do with the book and wanted to keep it that way, I suppose. That doesn't sound like you're gloating at all. I think that's an incredible achievement. Did you go through a lot of... Um, uh, like early readers and um, editing process, did you have, have other people looking at the book before you got it into the hands of SNS? Yes, and that's what I think would probably most significantly have influenced their decision in that, and it was that 
I went through two separate mentorship programs, uh, one during the writing of the book and the second during the editing of the book. And the first one was uh, Took It Fiction with Express Media and my mentor for that was Jennifer Down. And that was in the very, very, very early stages of the book. I'd only written the first few chapters, which I used to get into the program. And then I was writing it with Jennifer, getting her feedback and also learning through the, the toolkit program and being exposed to other young writers, which was really great. And then through toolkit, I ended up finishing the manuscript. And then that is when I got accepted into the Australian Society of Authors Award Mentorship Program. And that was with Monica McInerney, who was also just phenomenal. Just She is the patron saint of authors. She's just the most wonderfully supportive person. And I really attribute uh, my success and getting both an agent and a publisher is 100% because of her. And, and she really, really believed in the book. And I did go through an editing process with her. So that that's the thing. It's... It, really arrived at Simon & Schuster. It had gone through toolkits, it had gone through ASA, and it had gone through notes from my agent. What's it like to have your work go onto the chopping block for editing? Is it like killing your darlings? Or did our authors gain insights into their own worlds and characters through the process of working with editors? I asked the same question of the wonderful Tori Hashka. Um, I think it's probably like stages of grief as well, is that, you know, the very first second those notes come back, there is a thick sense that just then, you know, I certainly felt like I wanted to vomit at one point. Um, but what you, what I found was so important to keep in my head was that everybody wanted to make it. I was working with people who had done this a lot, so I needed to lean on their expertise. And so working through that process of doing the structural edit, of tightening the language, of removing all echo of cliches in the book, you know, that was incredibly useful. And it's also been a very useful process of seeing what bad habits you accidentally fall back on um, and how often they creep into your work. So that's been a great learning experience. Do you think those insights will make the next book a much easier experience for you? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, but you'd do it again? I, I, no, no. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the second draft of my second novel at Excellent. the moment, which is, a, which is a world expansion of Grace. And it, second novels are as hard as I think anybody would expect because you know what it is going into it. And so knowing how much work is still ahead of you is very daunting. But you're doing it and I'm, <laughs> I'm proud of you. I'm thrilled for you. Thank you. Nicola West again. I'm actually very cutthroat. I, I don't feel a huge attachment to words and stuff like that. And I, I think that that's a very fortunate thing to be. I, I can't imagine what it must be like if, you know, it's feeling like you're cutting off parts of your body. But, but for me, it's sort of a very pragmatic and can see that, you know, if something doesn't belong there, it doesn't belong there. And obviously that there are times where you can speak up and you can fight for things. But 
once again, especially with Simon and Schuster, who really inherently got my style and got what I was trying to do with the book, I suppose, there, there really weren't many occasions where they were suddenly saying to change something or remove something that, that I really, really loved and really was adamant they needed to stay in. So there were no um, tears, there were no fights. No, not at all. And that, that's the thing, prior to submitting Simon and well, to various publishers, uh, especially because of the programs that I had done, uh, which is just, they're so brilliant. And I really think that if you are an aspiring author, they are just so, so beneficial in seeing the process. But for me, it was a bit scary because you, you're sort of being told once you sell this thing, it's no longer yours. And you, you sort of just have to accept that that is part of the process and prepare yourself for that. So I was going in thinking, you know, this, this book is going to come out unrecognisable. And I was tremendously fortunate that that wasn't the case for me at all. But I, I, I don't know if I should be, you know, it sounds like I'm sucking up to Simon & Schuster, but they are just the most wonderful, supportive team. And from day one, they were just like, this is your book. We want it to remain your book. If there is ever anything, even if it is the tiniest, even if it is punctuation, if you say, hey, I don't really want to do that change, then they won't do it because they want to keep the author happy and they want to keep the author's vision alive. So they should. Lynn <laughs> <laughs> Yowett again. What does it feel like to hand over the work and have it become a... A, a group process, um, and and did you end up seeing your work in a different way? Mm, okay, so I don't. I never felt that I was handing it over. I always felt that it was a very collaborative process. Um, partly because both Bev and Catherine, Catherine were very easy to get along with. You know, we we really did get on very well, and we had a shared vision for how the novel could be and what it would take to get it there. And so I never felt that I was handing it over. I always felt that they were stepping in to support me to make it a better novel. And I think along the way, especially as we drew close, um, I was going to say especially as we drew close to the end, but I think actually also right at the beginning when we were making some of those big structural changes, I just felt that it was so good to have a couple of people who were as invested in this novel as I was and who were so willing and happy and diligent about making it better. And I think that one of the things that, uh, one of the ways in which I changed about my feelings towards the novel was that um, I felt that, if I, to use a, an analogy, that if the novel had started off as a sort of big block of unwieldy wood, I had done quite a bit of shaping to it to make it recognisable as, this is what I've got it in my mind as, as a sphere, but that it still had a fair bit of work needed to do to it. And it was like Bev and Catherine were giving me the tools plus the ideas, some of the ideas at any rate and so on, to, to polish it off and round it off and make it solid and 
um, a spree as flaws and bumps and scratches or whatever a bit sticking out as it could be so that it ended up hopefully a very solid, highly polished sphere. So I never felt, as said, that I'd handed it over. I definitely felt that it was a very collaborative effort. Um, and, and, of course, I did most of the actual work in terms of changing it. So they never actually made changes. They just only ever suggested them or talked to me about what needed to be done. So I was actually doing all of the hard yakka, although they did work hard too. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of work went into it. Um, and it, it sounds like a really dynamic process. It's almost like the writing of the book continued in a way through through that process. It, it just went into a, a kind of second phase. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of saying it. It was a second phase. And uh, there was a lot of time put into the editing of it. And that was something that Bev um, said would happen when we had that initial phone call pre-signing the contract, um, that she said they wanted to put a lot of time and effort into editing it. And it's kind of interesting because I, I sort of think, oh, is that because it wasn't very good? <laughs> it needed so much work. But I'd like to think, and they assured me that it was it was because it was good that they could see that if we all put a lot of work into it, hopefully it would be, you know, a whole lot better and, um, you know, and be, you know, enjoy some modicum of success. So now it's myth-busting time. What are our misconceptions around editing and publishing? What did our authors find most surprising? I asked Nicola West, author of the thriller Catch Us the Foxes, well, the biggest surprise was definitely that it wasn't anywhere near as extensive as I thought it would be. I I went in quite terrified, I'm not gonna lie, because I had been warned so many times, you know, all this big, bad, scary edit process. So when it finally got to that stage, you know, it, you you you've landed an agent there's been a bidding war, you've signed a contract, you know, it's all these tremendously exciting things that are just, you feel like you're on top of the world. But then there is this very daunting, oh God, now what? And I do think that I, I was, I, I, I felt quite ill physically when I knew that it was going through the, the proper read to do the edits. And that, that was when I was at first hearing back if there was going to be structural edit so I was sort of anxiously waiting that for that and uh, that process can sometimes be a bit slow so it, it was quite a few weeks of me going oh god what what is this email back going to be what is this phone call back going to be so to then finally hear back and say yeah we're not doing a structural edit it was just I don't know why they toyed with my emotions like that <laughs> Yeah, two weeks. That's a that's a long time. I must have gone through like multiple readers. Do you think? Yeah. Linio it again. Hmm. I think some of the assumptions that we get wrong is that someone else does does it for you, and that you can have a book that's really rough and ready, and someone else is going to take take it over and finish it for you. So I think I was surprised on one level of how much work I had to do and therefore 
looking back how much work I had to do on the whole novel from you know the days when you begin jotting down ideas or themes right through to that final copy when it when everything is done and there's no more time or room or money or whatever um, to do any more changes. I, I am constantly surprised looking back at just how much work was required. Um, but also I'm surprised at how, again, how collaborative a process it was and how accommodating Penguin and Bev and Catherine in particular were to my needs. Like I had to keep on working in my day job while I was doing this editing process. And um, so they were quite okay about giving me enough time to do it. And um, I guess I was surprised at how much of a difference it made and how pleased I was that I had the opportunity to make all of those changes. And it was interesting being on the other side of the editing process. Um, But I think... Uh, a lot of that was around um, having to accept some of the, especially in the early days, the big changes that we made. Like one of my lines is that um, Bev, on a couple of chapters in the first round, in her annotated notes on the manuscript, she had written, why is this chapter even here? <laughs> and I had to take a big gulp and, and either justify it or in fact realise that there was some superfluous content to the novel so that was probably a surprise actually that there was a lot of material that could come out without affecting the integrity and hopefully the forcefulness of the novel tori hashka again what happens in the publishing process in the editing process that um we have misconceptions about what what changed your mind about the whole deal I don't think I realised how collaborative it would be and how joyful that collaboration would be. Um, my book was about the saving grace of female friendship and for me being able to work with people like Cassandra DiBello at Simon & Schuster and have Paula Kuka be the uh, designer of the cover of the book. You know, There have been this world of female friendship that has mm-hmm. opened up to me um, through the process of publishing it. And then beyond that, getting the endorsement from other authors who have read it and want to say nice things and blurb your book has just been astonishing. The realisation that everybody is there to support each other. And I didn't realise that I was stepping into an industry which was quite as collaborative. As a cheeky side note, I asked a couple of authors about the infamous publisher lunch. I asked Nicola West, author of the thriller Catch Us the Foxes, we hear a lot about the uh, infamous publisher lunch. Were you taken to lunch and were many glasses of champagne drunk? Um, it's, I also had quite a unique tale in that thing. So within the last 12 months, it, it hasn't become unique. It's, it's become the norm. I had my publisher meeting, I believe it was the week of, that lockdown first started and or maybe it was the, the following week but it, it was that I was meeting publishers on the Monday and Tuesday and then it was supposed to be that on the Friday a lot of uh, 
publishers, employees and agents of toys were supposed to be going to the London Book Fair on the Friday. And there was a lot of talk of, oh, is this actually going to go ahead? And so I did have meetings and there were supposed to be a bit more celebratory plans. But because of COVID, I, I was tremendously fortunate that I was able to physically meet the publishers in their building because if it had been even a week later, that wouldn't have happened. And it, it, it's so weird to think about it now that at the time, you know, the pandemic didn't feel like something that was going to affect Australia at all. It very much felt like this thing on the other side of the world and that it was only an issue if you were leaving Australia. But but I do remember that, and this, this shows how early on in it, that it was that we, we, we joked about shaking hands of, oh, should we shake hands, should we not? And for, for the publishers, they ultimately decided um, that a hug was safer than shaking hands, which looking back now seems completely absurd but but that was how it was we we had no idea but yeah yeah don't take the medical advice from book people <laughs> <laughs> lynn yowett again um just to just to wrap up lynn um i i hear a lot about the famous uh publisher lunch uh you you alluded to it earlier um uh, could you just indulge me and, and tell me uh where did you go what did you eat what wines did you pair it with I wish I could. It's so long ago now, I can't remember. But I was at Penguin Random House, the head office in Sydney, and the idea was that we were going out for lunch. It was just Bev and me, which was lovely because it was really, um, you know, very one-on-one process. And we just walked, I don't know, 200 metres down the road to some groovy little um, restaurant and it was really nice. The food was really nice. If I remember correctly, I had salmon, but I might might be wrong. Um, we and I think we had just a pretty ordinary but nice enough Sauvignon Blanc or something like that. Had a couple of glasses of wine each, and we sat and talked. I'm going to say we were probably out for about two hours, and we talked about my book. We talked about why I had written it, why I wanted to achieve it, and what I wanted to achieve from it. Um, what we could do to make it better. We talked about the characters. We talked about how I got um, arrived at certain plot features and things like that. And I was blown away because I couldn't believe that there was someone else as interested in my book as I was. So it wasn't a big, boozy, you know, 200 people taking me out to celebrate <laughs> the birth of this novel or anything like that. But it was a lot of fun. and. Um, as I said, yeah, I just couldn't, could not get over the fact that someone else was as interested in my novel as I was. It was great. Seems like the biggest indulgement of all. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. And then when I went back, I don't know, maybe three or four months later, um, I went out with Catherine and Bev for lunch. That was the first time I met Catherine. And again, she was just as interested in it as well. And we did very similar things a couple of glasses of wine and a nice meal and sat and talked about the book and um, and where it was at by that stage, which was a lot further advanced in terms of, you know, having that plot tightened and the structure more effective and some of the superfluous stuff um, rele- relegated to the delete bin. And, um, 
yeah, also just as enjoyable. And mm, yeah, I, and it's interesting because I, I had a friend who's in the writing industry overseas who said to me that um, when I signed the contract that maybe getting published by someone as large as Penguin might mean that I wouldn't get all of the love and attention that either I or the book deserved or needed. Um, but I have said this to Penguin as well, to Justin, who's um, publishing manager up there, that um, I could not have been more pleased with the editing process and the people I worked with and the amount of love and attention I got. So um, it's um, perhaps there are myths out there about publishing and the editing process that need to be busted. I'm thrilled for you, Lynn. Um <laughs> And I hope I hope you're going to be booking in uh, more glasses of wine soon, um, with many books yeah. to come. Yeah, thank you. We we signed a two book deal, so I am in fact working on the second book, and um, enjoying that as well. And I think I'll be working a bit more closely with them through those, you know, at an earlier stage, of course, because I won't have to be, perhaps, hopefully, sort of pitching the manuscript to them. So I'm really looking forward to that as well. An enormous thank you to you for listening and to all of those authors for contributing their thoughts and feelings and trials and tribulations on the editing process. You can find Grace Under Pressure by Tori Hashka, The Silent Listener by Lynn Yowett, and Catch Us the Foxes by Nicola West at booktopia.com.au right now. And that's all for today's episode. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au